0: This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org.
1: For the people attending, thank you for the teaching of your word and its clarity and its truthfulness. As we come to think about this massive question of global weather and global warming, we ask that you would give wisdom and help me to present clearly and guide the discussion time as well. We pray. You commit this time into your hands and ask for your help and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before I begin the material, can you hear me all right? You
2: sound great, sir.
1: Okay, before I begin the material on global warming, there was a the leftover question from yesterday, two questions where I said, I don't know. And those questions had to do with why are housing prices so high and interest rates so high with the result that uh, many young couples wishing to buy a home are simply priced out of the market and no homes are available in their price range. Uh, and I said, I'd have to think about it through the day, which I did. And I did talk to a friend who's an economics professor as well and uh, here's the short answer uh, prices of houses are determined by supply and demand there's a demand for people wanting to buy first houses but there's a, not enough supply so the result is the house prices have uh, escalated the solution has to be to build more houses and uh, why we're not building more houses has to do somewhat with zoning regulations, somewhat with other restrictions placed by local governments, uh, somewhat by uncertainty in the economy. But increasing the quantity of houses supplied is the long-term and permanent solution. Eventually, I believe that's going to happen. Uh, Why are interest rates so high? Here, my friend, the economics professor, and I are in agreement. The government started with the time of COVID under Trump, but then accelerating under Biden. The federal government has poured trillions of dollars into our economy. And when the government dumps money into the economy, it drives up prices in this way. Let's say you have 10 apples and I have $10 in my apple fund you will charge me $1 for apple. Let's say you double your money, you have $20 and I have 10 apples. Anyway, who has the apples and who has the dollars? Let me start again. I'm buying apples. You have 10 apples, I have $10. Apples are dollar a piece. You have 10 apples and I have $20. The apples are going to be $2 a piece because... When I have more cash, I pay more for goods. And that way, when the government dumps $2 trillion more into a $20 trillion economy, prices of everything go up. And you're feeling it at the gas pump at the gas and at the grocery store. Um, Now, what is the government doing to try to straighten it out? Tightening interest rates by the Federal Reserve Board raising rates on money lends to banks, and they lend money been at higher rates to individuals, and people spend less, and that tends to diminish, the quantity demanded, and that tends to diminish prices. So that's where we are right now. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything more to be said about that, but I told you I'd get back to you on it. I'm going to move over to global warming now. Why global warming is not a problem. Global warming and carbon fuels. The Earth's atmosphere causes both warming and cooling influences on the Earth. Now, just imagine that we had the sun shining on us and no atmosphere at all on the Earth Earth planet. Well, there'd be no people because there'd be no air to breathe. But if we had no atmosphere at all, uh, the sun would shine on us and the heat would be reflected back into outer space the earth would turn into a ball of ice. It would be so cold no one could live here. But there are warming effects from the atmosphere. Greenhouse gases that are in the air absorb infrared energy heat from the sun. And then those gases radiate the heat outward. Just as when the sun shines on a rock and you put your hand near the rock, the rock is radiating the sun's heat outward, not reflecting, but The hot rock from the sun radiates heat from its own hotness, heat, warmth. And uh, in the same way, these little tiny greenhouse gases absorb heat from the sun and then radiate it outward. Some of it goes out into outer space, cooling the Earth, but some of it radiates heat back on the Earth, what's called a greenhouse effect. But there are also cooling effects from the atmosphere. Cooling feedbacks as a whole, such as uh, rain and uh, snow precipitation uh, and other interactions, eliminate about 50%, 58% of greenhouse warming. So the atmosphere cools the earth and warms the earth. Both, They're, both factors are interplayed and it's a complex interaction. What is the carbon, what is the controversy then about carbon dioxide? Actual empirical data about the effects of climate feedback show that they do not, multi- they do not multiply the warming effect of greenhouse gases as the global warming computer programs would have us believe. And I'm going to mention some principles from the Bible that are relevant here and um, that make me doubt global warming predictions and that made me doubt them from the very first time I heard about it. And some important facts from other scientific evidence. Now the Bible's teaching about the earth. I'm gonna sip on some hot water here while I'm talking. Did God design a fragile earth or a resilient one? Genesis 1.31 tells us God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So he was wise in his design of the earth and in the way he constructed it. After, well, then we have God's promises to maintain stability in seasons and oceans. After the great flood of Noah's day, God promised, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. There's a promise of stability in the seasons. This is after the sin of Adam and Eve. Never again God said shall it be a flood to destroy the earth. And Psalm 104, along with some other verses, it talks about a boundary for the sea. The waves of the sea, you set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. In fact, um this applies to the whole of our society today. People displease God when they fail to acknowledge His control of the weather. This people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, they have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, that is the rains and the harvest your sins have kept good from you. So there's a control of God over the weather, at least in the time of Jeremiah. And I would say we should believe that God controls the weather, even today as well. I don't think God designed the earth so it would destroy it by obeying his commandments. So here's the situation. God created Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and the birds and every living thing. To subdue the earth means to make it useful for human purposes, means to uh, create uh, small shelters to live in and eventually houses, to create uh, plant, plants, uh, uh, fields of crops and food uh, to domesticate animals for human use, and then to make products from the earth, such as eventually, houses and buildings, commercial buildings, and wagons and carts and eventually cars and airplanes and air conditioned church buildings like you're sitting in right now. Um All those products from the earth. Now, do we think that God set up the earth so we would destroy it by obeying his commands to develop the earth's resources and use them for our benefit? Because all of these products that are made require energy and energy comes from various sources that God has placed in the earth for us. It seems, in fact, that God has built... I'm going to back up here just a minute. If you're going to keep yourself warm in cold weather, you need to build a fire and have a a shelter. But a fire means burning wood, which is a carbon-based product which produces carbon dioxide. Today, as countries develop economically, they move from wood to using coal, oil, and natural gas, incredibly portable, abundant, widespread, and inexpensive sources of immense amounts of energy to cook food, to keep warm, eventually to power automobiles and airplanes and and heat and cool buildings and power manufacturing facilities, subduing the earth and bringing forth greater abundance of resources from it. Producing prosperity for nations requires incredible amounts of energy. Now, I have to ask myself, do I think that God put coal, oil, and natural gas in the earth that we would discover and use for energy? Incredibly widely available, cheap, and powerful sources of energy. And then not telling us to avoid these sources of energy, construct the Earth in such a way that we would destroy the Earth by using these sources of energy. In other words, do we think God sort of built booby traps into the Earth so that by, by obeying his command to subdue it, we would destroy it? I think that's foolishness. I don't think God put in the Earth these abundant energy products and made them interact with the atmosphere in such a way that the atmosphere would be destroyed by our use of them. In fact, it seems to me that God has built some self-regulating functions into the earth and its atmosphere. For example, there's something called the global iris effect with high-level cirrus clouds over the oceans. When the oceans begin to heat up more than normal, the high-level cirrus clouds disperse and allow heat from the oceans to escape into outer space, thus cooling the oceans. When the temperature in the oceans drops and becomes cooler than is ideal, the cirrus clouds come back together and form a canopy that keeps the heat from reading into outer space and provides a warming effect on the atmosphere and on the ocean. So it's a self-correcting mechanism. I have a self-correcting mechanism in the apartment where my wife and I live. It's called a thermostat. (laughs)
2: It's
1: a simple mechanism, sits on the wall. If it gets too cold in the house, in the apartment, uh, it turns on the heat. If it gets too hot in the apartment, it turns on the cooling. Do we think that, do we think that God is smart enough to design The the earth with a self-correcting mechanism or many of them. I think actually he he is thats he is smart enough to design uh, self-regulating mechanisms in the earth. I see Job 38, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. God, through the book of Job, says he made clouds the garment of the sea. A garment is something you put on to keep warm when you get cold. And when you get too hot, you take the garment off. It looks like clouds are acting in that way as a garment, which scientists only in the recent years have discovered, but which was revealed through the book of Job uh, hundreds, many hundreds of years ago in Job 38. Clouds are like the garment the high-level, serious clouds. I think there are more self-breaking mechanisms that haven't yet been discovered. Global warming alarmists remove our motivation to thank God for His wonderful gifts of cheap abundant energy, resources. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything created by God is good. He wants us to develop the earth and use the earth's resources because He formed the earth to be inhabited. I don't think he formed it so that we would destroy it by using it as good gifts of energy. What does the scientific evidence say about global warming? So before I mention the scientific evidence, is it does that make sense? My instincts from reading the Bible for about 70 years now, my, my instincts when I first heard about global warming, where no God didn't make the earth that way. It's not. It's not the way He set it up to work. Do you want to interact with me on that portion of the material before I go to scientific evidence? Any questions or comments? So, um, I just was wondering how will you be talking about the balance of man's responsibility for stewardship of the earth in conjunction with God's sovereignty? over the, with these self-regulating mechanisms? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, I can hear you, but I can't see you. like yesterday I'm not I can expand the window enough, but what's your name?
0: Uh, Tracy.
1: Tracy. Um, yes, we should be good stewards of the Earth. That means don't, if you're going to use coal, use it in a plant that... Cleans up the exhaust so you're not polluting, putting smoke and soot into the atmosphere. Um, If you're going to use uh, uh, coal or uh, other source of energy, do it in a way that doesn't destroy the atmosphere. You're absolutely right. We are to be good stewards of uh, of the Earth and its resources. But we've got a thousand years more of coal available to us at current rates. We have hundreds of years of oil available to us, and that's only the oil that's been discovered, where good stewardship doesn't require us to avoid the use of those resources. And we have thousands and thousands of years of nuclear energy available to us if we would only get off, if we'd only um, build more nuclear reactors and use that energy. Uh, But the, the global warming people aren't, Objecting to uh, careless energy, to careless, uh, dirty, uh, pollutant expelling use of coal, oil, and natural gas. They're objecting to even 100% clean use of coal, oil, and natural gas because when those, when coal, oil, and natural gas burn, the chemical reaction produces carbon dioxide and there's no way you can avoid that it's part of the product of combustion so um but i agree we should be good stewards and i think using these resources is good stewardship any other questions on that or comment No, thank you okay um i i didn't say at the beginning what carbon dioxide is. If you open a bottle, if you open a can of Coke, that the bubbly fizz that comes out of the uh, bottle is carbon dioxide. And if you inhale the air in the room where you are right now, you're inhaling a mixture of nitrogen, oxygen, argon, and a few other trace elements. When you exhale, you're you're taking more oxygen. When you inhale, when you exhale, you exhale more carbon dioxide, and is that a good or a bad thing? Well, plants love carbon dioxide because they use it in photosynthesis to grow and um, provide uh, abundant plant resources for us, trees and vegetables, etc. So, carbon dioxide in, in a solid form is called dry ice but it's a naturally-occurring substance in the world and it's necessary for plant life and animal life. It's necessary for us and our respiration. Okay, so now scientific evidence. There's increasing protest in the scientific community throughout the world against the global warming alarmists. For instance, there is a petition signed by 9,000 PhDs or more than that now, saying there is no convincing scientific evidence that human release of carbon dioxide, methane, or other greenhouse gases is causing, or will in the foreseeable future, cause catastrophic heating of the Earth's atmosphere and disruption of the Earth's climate. Moreover, there is substantial scientific evidence that increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide produce many beneficial effects upon the natural plant and animal environments of the earth. Uh, That is, plants have more carbon dioxide, they grow more quickly and more fully. They're beneficial results. And I'm going to call your attention to a book that is not yet published, but I've had some connection with it's called Climate and Energy. It's coming out in February from Regnery Publishing, a Washington, D.C. publishing house that's been around for 75 years, and it's published many many thoughtful and influential conservative books by Ted Cruz, Newt Gingrich, um, Russell Kirk, um, Whitaker Chambers' book Witness. Uh, Anyway, many conservative books. This book is edited by Calvin Beisner, who's a friend of mine, been a friend for years, and David Legates. And this book on climate and energy, the case for realism, has specialty chapters on um, the oceans, a chapter on the sun and its influence, a chapter on water vapor in the atmosphere, a chapter on... um, clouds and their influence and uh, it points out the intergovernmental panel on climate change i'm going to read you just a few sentences here the book argues that human-induced climate change is real there's some there's some effect of human action on the atmosphere but it's not catastrophic economic development can fund adaptation measures that protect against climate Related effects. The um, article, this chapter by David Legates says Debate among dissenting voices once characterized scientific advancement, but insistence upon consensus is now accompanied by groupthink, emotionalism, intimidation, ad hominem attacks, suppression of dissent, and deceptions achievement and grossly oversimplified science. Climate change is now a well-funded campaign to transform global society through wealth redistribution. True scientific inquiry has been relegated to obscurity. And uh, there are many other ways in which uh, scientific properties of scientific data is, is squelched and disparaged and not Anyway, this should be a very influential book once it's published and you can pre-order it on Amazon.com. I don't have any personal involvement with it, except uh, I've been, Cal Beissner has made available to me the manuscript ahead of time because I was so interested in it. Scientists who have publicly disagreed with anthrop- anthropogenic, that's man-made global warming alarmism and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Judith Curry, Chair of the School of Earth and Atmospheric Science at Georgia Tech, co-editor of a six-volume encyclopedia of atmospheric scientists. This is a woman who's at the top of her field scientifically. She says, IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, insiders have acted like schoolyard bullies. They will tolerate no dissent. They seek to trample and discredit anyone which challenges the IPCC. She said, I decided I could no longer in good faith support the IPCC and its assessment. I ever gave a physics professor Rensselaer Nobel Prize winner. Temperature has changed from approximately 288 degrees Kelvin to 288.8 degrees Kelvin in 150 years, which means the temperature has been amazingly stable and human health and happiness have improved. He could no longer endorse the global warming alarmism. Harold Lewis, physics professor at UC Santa Barbara. Global warming is the greatest and most successful pseudo-scientific fraud I have seen in my long life as a physicist. Robert Laughlin, physics at Stanford, protesting. Norman Borlaug, Nobel Prize winner. William Happer, physics at Princeton. Antonia Sid Chichi, President of the World Federation of Scientists. And so the list goes on. Roy Spencer was Senior Climate Science at NASA, Scientist at NASA. was the U.S. Science Team Leader for the satellite measurement of the temperature from the, from the uh, space, which many people say is the most accurate way to measure the global temperature. Ian Climber in Australia. We are the highest academic honor in Australia for scientists. Richard is a professor at MIT, longtime critic of anthropogenic geology, global warming, AGW. Fred Sager, professor at University of Virginia. So these are, these names are not just new PhDs, junior professors. These are senior, senior scholars widely recognized in their field of, uh, as, as experts. Global average temperature measurements undermine the credibility of computer models on which predictions of dangerous warming exist. And here's a uh, chart of global temperatures. For the last 2,000 years, what you have is a long term gradual increase and decrease of uh, temperature. And you can see this. This is degree, tenths of a degree above and below historical average norm, which is this line. But this whole chart doesn't take in one degree of centigrade. It only takes an eighth tenths of a degree. So this is tiny, tiny amount of average change. Up here, average change of six tenths of a degree centigrade. Six tenths of a degree Except to a medieval warm period, so Vikings in Greenland, and then a cooler temperature, little Ice Age, and then here we are, and we back out of that. But this whole range of variation is uh, just like about half a degree centigrade above average and half a degree centigrade below average. It's not caused for panic, and I think what we're seeing is long term. Uh, cycles. Should the UN uh, IPCC panel be pressed to have the last word? it certainly called for it to study human influence on global temperature. It largely ignores natural influences. Natural influences would be the oceans, the clouds, the sun, um, the orbiting of the sun, of the earth, earth around the sun, etc. ClimateGate is the name given to this distortion, willful distortion of temperature data from the East Anglia Research Center that in in England that was the custodian of the data.
0: Um,
1: The IPCC based some of its most frightening predictions on unscientific sources, well, the actual scientific data, refuted them. Are glaciers melting and sea levels rising? Uh, yes, somewhat. The data on global glacial history and ice mass balance do not support the claims made by the IPCC that carbon dioxide emissions are causing most glaciers to retreat and melt. What I read uh, indicates to me that uh, there's some melting of Ice polar ice cap in the north near the North Pole, Arctic ice cap, and some increase in the Antarctic ice cap ice ice cap. Um, but overall not a cause for concern. Sea levels. The sea level has been slowly rising since the end of the last ice age. It rose six point three inches in the entire 20th century. The rate of increase has declined. And uh, people adapt to that. They move their houses back six inches from <laughs> from <laughs> the beach um, or they, they move it back to they're six, they're six inches higher but that's over the course of a hundred years that's a tiny change uh, severe weather droughts and floods not increasing in frequency or intensity And then we need to be aware of the benefits that come from increased carbon dioxide. Its effect on plant life is large and beneficial. Uh, I'm going quickly because I want to allow some time for questions. The unacceptable loss of human freedom that would come with government control of energy use. Here's Vaclav Klaus. Former president of the Czech Republic and by a professional economist, a professional economist who lived through communism. As someone who has lived under communism for most of his life, I feel obliged to say that I see the biggest threat to freedom, democracy, the market economy, and prosperity now in ambitious environmentalism, not in communism. This ideology wants to replace the free and spontaneous evolution of mankind by a sort of central non global planning. I think that's a real warning. And you've seen the headlines where uh, state legislatures in various places, especially California, outlaw gas stoves, want to outlaw gas automobiles, force us to buy electric automobiles, outlaw uh, drilling for oil, or restrict any new permits for oil, outlaw oil pipelines, cut us off from... The best, most abundant source of energy we have available. The unacceptable cost of reducing our use of carbon fuels. Abundant, and affordable energy is crucial to economic production. Carbon fuel alternatives, that would be wind energy, solar energy, um, primarily those two, cost from two to eight times as much as fossil fuels. I'll mention this last. The Paris Climate Treaty over the next 75 years would maybe reduce global temperature by three-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit amount would have no significant effect on any ecosystems. Christians who are concerned about alleviating poverty in the world cannot ignore the tremendous economic harm from forcing reductions in carbon-based energy sources. So conclusion, government should not adopt any policies to regulate the amount of carbon fuel used or to diminish the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That is the end of what I wanted to say. We have some time for Q and A. Now I can see you. Are you yawning in the second row? Red shirt dark code. You just, yeah, is, somebody have a question? I can, I can hear you and see you.
2: Yeah, Dr. Green, thank you. My name is Mike. Um, do you have an opinion as to why climate alarmist scientists continue to say that the science is in and it's irrefutable it, it, when other scientists who are renowned uh, have a different opinion? Why are they continuing to say that to us? when? You
1: said it's, it's not. A Human beings love power.
2: <laughs>
1: I don't mean electrical power. I mean power over other people, power to regulate their lives. As you can regulate people's energy, use, you have huge control over their lives. There are proposals that say you should only be allowed to take two airplane trips per lifetime. <laughs> they, you should not have more children because they produce more carbon dioxide. Use more energy. I mean, these are far extremist proposals, but that's the way it goes. You can't use a gas stove, you can't use a gas automobile, can't use the gas part, electric gas part, clothes dryer, um et cetera. And I, I, I think, what's your name? Mike. Mike, I honestly think it's the delight in having power to control the lives of other people. Coupled with some people, the influence of some forces that don't like American dominance in the world, are anti-American as well, that's just my hunch. Who else?
2: I guess I understand that from politicians, but it surprises me from scientists
1: too. Not all scientists have pure motives, and there's immense funding available for publications that support this view. Um, uh, in fact, there was published in the New York Post about two weeks ago, an article by a highly rated specialist in in uh, solar energy or one, one from one part of atmospheric science who said he submitted this article and got it published in a high, highly rated scientific journal. He did so by withholding some of the data that would question global warming. Because he knew if he put in a questioning any questioning about global warming, he would not get his article published. That's called self-censorship. And he admitted to it and said it goes on all the time. That's detailed in this in the preface to this book that I just mentioned. Which it's going to be a layperson's introduction to the various aspects of this controversy. Who else? Anybody else? Way in the back, standing up for the check and share.
3: Hey, hi, Dr. Grimm. Um, I have a question about it's actually a two part question dealing with the younger generation, some ways to uh, discuss this topic without, again, like the other gentleman was saying, it's where they're an alarmist, where they would come at you and say, no, the science is in. Would you would you recommend using First uh, Corinthians 14:33 uh, about God is not a God of disorder, talking about a lot of the a lot of the um, points that you made during your presentation, that they seem like they're trying to create a disorder for people's thought process, like where you have um, the melting ice caps or the C uh, the C O two emissions. I mean, I've read some stuff that ice supreme, which is from oak trees. Combat CO two, and they want to cut down all the oak trees. So it always seems to be more alarming things each time. So I, I guess that's my I, the question being again: How do you? How would you go about talking to younger generations about climate change in a biblical way or using some uh, biblical verses?
1: I buy them a copy of this book called Climate and Energy. I mean, it's 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 expert experts on special. In- Subspecialties in weather science: uh, expert on the sun, expert on the oceans, expert on clouds and evaporation and precipitation, and then some economists talking about the effect of energy and cost of switching to alternative sources of energy. Um, it's going to be a very, very influential book. Um, let me see.
2: Doctor Groom, I, I have a question as a pastor of a church. Yeah. Curious to know, um, I'm thinking like uh, building projects and that sort of thing. There's there'd be a push in the area that I live in, the Philadelphia area to, um, you know, kind of uh, take into account green energy and that sort of thing in the production of a new building or the remodeling of something. Um, You could do what? To uh, to take into account green energy, creating a green space uh, in terms of a building uh, renovation. Right. um, if as as a church, that's something we steer clear of, or do we uh, do we move that direction in terms of you know kind of living in our community and doing what they do? Uh, is there an inherent danger, perhaps, in propagating something that's not true by that signaled by us creating that green space or something like yeah. that? Do you,
1: do Interesting that makes- question. Um, if it's required by local zoning regulations, you of course have no choice. You have to comply if it's something they want you to do voluntarily, I would say that's a wisdom question for your elder board and you to make together.
2: So being on that elder board, I'm asking you to advise us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If I'm on your elder board, I'm gonna vote against anything that help that, uh, anything that advances global warming alarmism. Thank you. But um, I'm not saying one choice is sinful and the other is righteous. I'm saying it's a wisdom question, t- trying to decide what the result would be. So that's helpful.
2: That's a great answer, thank
1: you. Who else? You go ahead. Uh, do,
2: you, uh, do you see any
3: connection eschatologically with this stuff that's going on and, you know?
1: What's your name? Doug. Doug, interesting question. Um, This is personal opinion, I'm going to give you my big picture perspective. Sounds
3: good.
1: It seems to me that God has put the United States in a position of, so far, being a beacon of freedom and a protector of freedom to, to some extent throughout the world. We're the most powerful nation that has ever existed in the history of the world and we use that power to keep the sea lanes free for commerce, so piracy is not abundant. We do that at no charge for the rest of the world. We do it to protect smaller, weaker nations that are under threat, such as we're doing now with Israel, to some extent with Ukraine, to some extent with Taiwan, South Korea. Uh, We're a beacon of freedom, a beacon of freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, and I hope that continues. If the United States somehow is removed from the scene as a bastion and protector and of freedom, the world would be a very different place. And it is conceivable that we would fall under authoritarian tyr- tyrannical dictatorship such as the Communist Chinese, Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and that would certainly be, in my mind, the uh, entrance into the end times. I hope that doesn't happen. I pray that it won't happen. What I see throughout the Old Testament is God does not destroy a nation or judge a nation until the prophets, the priests, the kings, and the people, all four groups, have turned against God. And that is certainly not the case in the United States so far. There are large segments of the population that have turned against God and his rules. They're still in every every community in the United States. There are faithful people, Bible-believing Christians, reading their Bibles, reading Bible taught every Sunday, praising God and praising Jesus Christ. Um, I don't think God is going to judge this nation. I think he has still good purposes for it, and I, I expect a revival, a massive revival on a national scale is yet to come, and I hope soon. That's my own instinct at home. I don't know if that's helpful or not. I have a companion question to his. my husband. What about natural disasters that come along, climate
0: change people are quick to Know, raise the alarm! This is climate change. What about if that's part of end times um, scenario where the Bible says there will be famines, earthquakes,
1: and so on? Yeah. Okay. Um, what is your name? Susan. Susan. My answer to that is I don't know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could be. Could be. It's like waves of the sea. The signs of end times coming increase and then they receive They increase and see and we don't know when is the last one. But we should be ready. Yeah. And how am I doing in time? Uh,
3: I think we're doing okay. I haven't heard a crowd in the hall, so we're doing.
1: I think. We we'll take another two or three questions, and then we'll be done. I
0: have a question, <laughs> sir, um, about the housing market. You, you made you made the comment that. um they're saying that they need to. Uh, that that um, you, you said this in reference to another question that you had earlier. Um, how my, In in my in my observation, I'm no expert on this, but in my observation, I see in my community um, families that own big farms are selling land or developing land to make these big neighborhoods uh because there's a, a housing shortage, they say, but at the, you know further down the road, you'll go through a little town that's full of old homes that nobody's living in that are just sitting and rotting um, and, and my 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 question is kind of a, a recycling question uh, instead of building new homes on farmland wouldn't wouldn't it be more wise to renovate a home that already exists and is there any evidence that support like in your research did you find anything that actually supported we have this many people who need a home and this many homes that are empty in a community um
1: what's your name
0: Deborah Wilkerson
1: Deborah um My response is that the free market will take care of itself. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We don't need more government restrictions or rules on how it to be used. Uh, If the land is available, the little community with older homes is going to have houses that will sell as well if the quantity demanded increases. Uh, the, The free market is wonderful in terms of Having supply and demand of meat. Other questions? Yeah. Uh, you said the prophets, the priests, the people, and what was the third one? Can you speak up a little more?
2: The prophets, the priests,
3: the people, and there was a fourth one. The kings. King.
1: king. Prophets, priests, king, what and the people. King? When they had all turned away from God, then he judged them.
3: Okay. Thank you.
1: Okay, last question or comment, then it will be dismissed.
3: One question, uh, where do you see Hebrews 1 and 12, I'm sorry, 1 verses 11 and 12, fitting into this, where it speaks of the earth and heavens growing old, and God taking them off, changing them as a garment?
1: Oh, I hate to end it. Let, have the last question be one in which I have to give this answer, but I have not thought about that question. And I don't have an. I, I memorized that chapter a long time ago. They all grow old like a garment. Um, I don't know. I think I had thought of that as the time, referring to the time when Christ returns. Maybe that's where I'll land. And that there'll be a dramatic change in the, the heavens and the earth, about which we don't know very much right now. Sorry, I can't be more help. I'll think about that, but it'll be too late.
0: <laughs>
1: Thank you for your attendance. It's been a fun audience to talk to.
0: Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.